the background is we were having discussions after all of the episodes and realized that we were making some really good points. Uh, <laughs> Connecting the, some dots that were just you and I were hearing. <laughs> yeah, so like, hey, let's uh, record some of these. So uh, at least a semi-regular feature, if not a regular feature, will be some of these analyses, depending on how good I guess they turn out to be. Welcome to a bonus analysis and discussion episode with the hosts of the Path Distilled podcast. In these episodes, we talk about the guests that we just had on, how it connects to the guests we've had in the past, and give our take on what you've heard. That was amazing. She is great, yeah. Um, I mean, it's great, you know, that she shares her personal story with it, but also... um, like we were saying during her interview, it's such an under examined topic, you know, for it being such a phenomenon across so many different people and domains and, you know, things and, and so much more common than people realize. Like she kind of got on that a little bit that it's kind of usually right that you kind of think you're the only one, right? (laughs) Like I'm the only one that feels this way or, you know, thinks this about myself. Um, uh, so 70%. 70%, right? I, I, for that, it just, it, it floors me sometimes, right? That something like that doesn't get the research and, the, and science attention that it deserves. And based on my experience, there's probably, and this is just me guessing, but I would think there's at least 10 to 15% more that aren't recognizing it. So it's probably mm-hmm. closer to 80 or 85 at least. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Right. People that don't, you know, recognize or state that they have it. <laughs> it would, I'm curious, I, and you alluded to it in the interview, but looking at the people that don't have it, I think would be interesting. Um, we, we didn't, we forgot to ask her about that. It'd be cool to maybe get like a follow-up of asking her about like what her thoughts are on the people that, um, that, that are overconfident. I think there's some argument with overconfidence. Like I think about Kobe Bryant is a great example. He's often one I use because he was one that was overconfident, like so uber confident, but it was true. Like it was authentic. Right. And, and it didn't, it didn't have the sometimes unintended consequence that overconfidence has, which is you then kind of get what people call complacent or, you know, it, it wasn't that like he truly believed he was great. Um, and put that out there and had that, you know, uh, mamba mentality, as you called it, right? Um, but it was real. And then you have other people that put it out there for maybe other reasons, like they're trying to get other people to believe it, or some people kind of say that they're, themselves. they're, right, they're masking <laughs> a true feeling of lack of confidence, or some of the interesting commentary around you know men versus women like there's that great harvard business review article um the the title was something like why do so many incompetent men become leaders and the article was all about the differences between competence and confidence and because men tend to demonstrate more confidence it is assumed that they are more confident or Mm -hmm. competent that's interesting um and Michael Jordan in this recent documentary, I think has been accused of being overly confident, but again, mm-hmm. he backed it up. It reminds me, there was an, it might've been popular press, 
based on an academic article, but I think there was a story, uh, the reputation that professors sometimes have of being kind of ornery or uh, mm -hmm. curmudgeons. And the point of the article was people tolerate it as long as they are among the best. So if you're an academic, and this is to me kind of tied to what you're saying, the, you can have, uh, you can be cocky, you can be hard to get along with, but if you back it up, people kind of leave you alone and it, it didn't cause problems for Kobe. Uh, the idea that he was great or uh, perceiving that himself as great didn't cause a problem for Michael Jordan. It, the folks that academically, if you are a jerk, you're gonna be called out on it. So I, I think that as an academic side of the athletic side you're talking about, and I'm sure it applies to other areas. I think it also has to do with whether or not there is a real or perceived need to pursue something, right? So the the basketball examples we're just talking about, they're still having to compete and, and try to win, right? And try to accomplish goals. Whereas I think, you know, an example maybe that's interesting to think about on the other side of this is someone like a, an academic who gets tenure, right? What's the argument about tenure? That you can then kind of sit back because you've achieved it. Not to say that they're not continuing to try and achieve things, but sometimes it feels like you've hit that mark. So the perception, at least, on some is you can coast, right? Or you can now not really work as hard. You see it in the business world, too. I had an interesting conversation with a client the other day who was saying, you know, there's a difference between how she at her level of management um, is perceived by the people that report to her versus the the people above her who are seen to be at a level where they can kind of the way it's viewed by people below them is work less and they push off the work on others, <laughs> <laughs> which may or may not be true, but that's the perception, right? So I find that kind of interesting to think about in this scenario too of you know how it's tied into um, pursuit right and and whether we have or feel the need to continue to pursue things that's why I like that she was talking about pursuit and growth as this lifelong piece I also was really intrigued by her mentioning that imposter syndrome isn't just something you get and then get rid of right it's it's this thing that constantly ebbs and flows I think of confidence in the similar way too, right? Like people assume confidence is something like you get and then it's yours versus realizing that it's an emotion, which means that it's going to have its ups and downs. Yeah. And she mentioned domain specificity and then uh, kind of related to that is you kind of get really good at doing one thing and then you add something else to your plate and now you might have it again, which is what you just said, but it's an application of it, right? Yeah, I forgot to mention this. Do you ever see that? I'm going to butcher this story. I have to find the video of this. There was a, a video I've shown sometimes to, to groups I've worked with and, and classes where it's this guy who was afraid to be rejected. So he never like put himself out there. So he, um, he went on this process of basically trying to be rejected like every single day. So, you know, he'd do things like in a Starbucks line, uh, <laughs> just talk to people randomly, right? And and basically what he was trying to do was kind of like desensitize himself mm -hmm. to this fear of this negative outcome. Um, and I, I was thinking about that when she was talking about kind of that that growth piece, right? And and shifting into 
thinking from that that mindset or that lens of, of putting yourself out there to sometimes in these spaces where you know you won't feel confident. Yeah, and I think that tying it back into earlier with the interview, um, in my personal experience, I've now been rejected academically or other projects so much that it's not fun necessarily, but it doesn't necessarily hurt every time. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you, uh, you reach out to someone, they're not interested, that's a rejection. You, um, if you've applied for a journal, uh, you're gonna get rejected quite frequently. Um, but I think, yeah, that that's a good path to take as far as inducing the rejection, because um, if you look back even to your 10, 15, 20 year younger self, the things that used to devastate you, at least temporarily, don't seem that devastating anymore. Maybe it's just the distance in time, but I know part of that would be that becoming accustomed to not everything happening on demand or. And growing your identity, right? Like I shared during the episode that I really did tell my students, like I really did feel like it took me 10 years outside of grad school to finally have that thought track in my head of like, yep, maybe, maybe you're good at this. Like, Maybe you can feel like you are an actual professional in this field. <laughs> well, I think we had the unique experience of uh, the cohort that we came through grad school with. Um, I'm tremendously impressed with my personal growth, but also your growth. I think Dave, you know, is 10 years a better scholar. Uh, Paul's mm-hmm. improved. Uh, Paul Ward, Dave Eccles was the first person I mentioned. And I think in analyzing myself and you said recognizing that you actually do have something to offer I look back at where Paul was uh, Dr. Paul Ward 10 or 15 years ago and at the time I thought he was perhaps superhuman I just had a lot of respect for him but now I look back and if you take the the place that he was in his career I was probably not where he exactly where he was but I was a lot closer once I advanced an additional 10 years to make up the ground that he had in the career. So he's 10 years ahead of me in the career. And if I work an additional 10 years, I can see that I was much closer 10 years in than I recognized I would be uh, when he had that. Now he advanced 10 years as well. So we're not equal, (laughs) but looking back at where he was at that time, I just made this too long to understand. But uh, looking back, it kind of gave me a sense that I've improved to the point that was pretty close to where he was. Um, it just needed I think time. it's so powerful though, what she shared too about um, almost like what comes to mind is like the work is never done. So when I used to talk, tell my students that I would say, but it's not like I got 10 years in and I'm like, cool, I can feel good about this. Like it's sometimes I feel like I'm the worst person at this job, you know? Um, and other, and sometimes like, you know, you realize like, oh, wow, there are actually things I need to work on and improve, you know, and, and that's, it's good. Like I, I enjoy that stuff and I enjoy picking that apart and thinking about how I'm going to continue to grow. But now, now that I recognize that, right. Um, I think that was, you know, what she, what she talked about not being perfect and, and still having to, to, uh, think about this, I think is, is really important because it's not like you just you get to this place where you're like, okay, yes, I can own my greatness. It's like today I'm owning my greatness. And then tomorrow I might struggle to get there. Right? Like, <laughs> it's either uh, this might work or I really, I'm really bad at this. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, that's the mind game that's consistent. And we, it, to grow people, 
pick new challenges. So this adventure, um, yeah, it might seem like it was initially we thought it might be pretty straightforward to get it up and running, but as we found, there were lots <laughs> of hurdles. Said, I, I was yeah. like, ah, uh, I think I need to adjust your timeline. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Well, that, that's old hat. Uh, well, awesome. Um, and I think we can also ask the listeners if there's, um, you know, that they want to start sending us ideas on who to have on the show. Mm-hmm. They're welcome to do that. Um, also remind them that the photos that we talk about in episodes will be available on our social media accounts. And please, you know, ideas about people or areas, but also if you're listening and you think, you know what, I wish they asked this question, you know, send us that too. Yeah. And if you feel like you'd make a good guest for the show, please reach out. The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled, all rights reserved.